Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello, good afternoon, good morning, good and afternoon. welcome to the Squidge Rugby Succession Retrospective podcast the only rugby podcast that is actually dedicated to the hbo original series succession so uh i'm joined as ever by uh mr william owen how are you doing i'm i'm all right and you know what i'm gonna make a confession on succession mm. that mm. i've never actually seen it and yet i host a podcast on it and you Every know what's, week. what's even crazier about that what we're on episode 69 of this podcast <laughs> That's pretty wild. That's it's pretty wild. Pretty nice, isn't it? I respect you holding back until the nicest episode for you to actually come and mention the fact that you've never seen the focal point of this Come clean, podcast. bro. I've come clean. Y- yeah, but excluding the special episodes we've done on other HBO series and uh, like the, their Christmassy yeah. series that they've done and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, if yeah, we exclude yeah. them, this is the 69th episode of this podcast. I thought... What's the what's the show called again? Succession. Uh, Succession. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought our mini series on sharp objects was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've done a, we've done a pretty good pretty good job of stretching this program that has about twenty nine episodes out to sixty nine episodes of podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, everybody's done that stupid game of whatever it's called. There's probably about ninety <laughs> podcasts about that. What? The, the, have you heard that other um, that other HBO series game of um, something? No, no. Okay, never mind. Ne- neither have I. Is it about Donkey Kong? Yeah, is it the it's... one about the the? the that is a game. The, to be the fair. one about the um, two guys who try to beat each other's donkey on high scores. At that, y- did they make that into a TV series? No, no. Oh, but that is a game. So therefore, mm. yeah, there's a there's a lot of Game of Thrones podcasts. It looks like are there? Yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm just searching this now on Spotify. I'm just going, if anyone sponsored by Spotify, uh, which we're not. Yeah, it's. Uh, there's a lot of them there's a lot of them there's there's more game of thrones podcasts than there are squid podcasts we've now actually fallen down to the third biggest podcast with the word squid in its title what yeah who are the two bigger than us so one of them was the vampire squid who we uh yes the we, vampire squid we looked up before the the business podcast hosted by not steve walsh and the second one is big squid with justin hamilton Oh, not Justin Hamilton. Yeah, that bastard's overtaken us. According to Chartable, if you search Squid, we are the third podcast that comes up. Justin Hamilton is a professional basketballer who currently plays with the Beijing Ducks Apparently he's an award, award, award-winning comedian, according to this. Nope. Oh, Justin Harrison. Justin Hamilton. Justin Harrison played second row for the Wallabies. There is also two separate basketballers called Justin Hamilton. Okay. And they are the only Justin Hamiltons who come up when you type it into Wikipedia by the looks of things. Okay, okay. Don't just, there's also Justin Hamilton comedian, don't care about him. Okay. Justin Hamilton's Boring. safety 
Oh, he's a right. Okay, no, he's a he's a college so footballer. I recently had. I was scrolling through Facebook dot com, which is a mm. website. If anyone's heard of it, it's not a very good one. And up came a targeted ad for me for a band called Squidge. Mm-hmm. And clearly, it was because I've mentioned the concept Squidge in text messages and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they've thought, oh, this guy's clearly clearly into things with the word Squidge in it. And so a band called Squidge came up. I can't remember where they were from. They weren't very big at all. They had they were mm. like a, you know a, like a grassroots level band with like my uh, band. three figures of, uh, of of likes on Facebook. They're your band. Yeah. What do you play? Uh, music. So I was also sent quite recently by our mother, who is we have we share a mother, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, you know that um, that church's song, the mother we share. Or Chavirch's song? Mm, no, nope. that's oh, um, you'll know it. Uh, that song's about us. Yeah. So, uh, um, and nobody else. Yeah. So her friend sent her a, a poster, and I don't know if you've seen this. I'm going to hold it up to the camera now. It is a poster seen at a local art centre for something called Squidge the Film. Oh wow! Is this so? Is this podcast being adapted into a movie by HBO? I think it is. I think it is. So the, the tagline, it says, is a playful film exploring our sense of touch through dance and music. Interact with the magical light-up boxes full of textures and four little hands. Four little hands. Four little hands. So the squidge in this movie canonically has four hands. <laughs> yes. That's pretty good. Um, so it's like Leonie Nakarawa type deal. For three to eight-year-olds... And they're grown-ups. I mean, that's, that sounds pretty promising. I think one day we should do a special episode dedicated to that film. This is on at the Belgrave Theatre in Coventry. Okay. Well, uh, adverts are currently on sale. I love the fact that it's called Squidge the Film. Mm. Right. Because everything that does A, it implies there is a Squidge previously. There is like a TV series or a, a comic book or something called Squidge. But whenever they do that, it's always the movie. Rather mm, than the film. The film, yeah. The film. They never call it the film. Yeah. I mean, if if you... Wow, so if if I... I mean, it might be because I am me, but if I mm. go on to Google and... Google.com, it's another... That's another website you might have heard of. That's um, crazy. That's such a silly name for a website. It, it is, isn't it? I've never stopped to think about... I definitely have when I'm a kid. Yeah. But when I type the word squidge in, it comes up with one of those, uh, like, recommended for you things of squidge oh, yeah. rugby there. I've heard of that guy. Yeah, He's yeah. dickhead. But when you actually... Um, when I actually type it in, there's a dictionary definition for squidge. There's mm. something called box boxes and kits, cutter and squidge, uh, which sounds cool. And then squidge rugby. So... Yeah, there's also slowly. It comes up. People also search for Squidge Bakery. Squidge Bakery. That's such a better fit than Squidge Rugby. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Why didn't I become Cutter a baker? and Squidge? They make donuts. They have oh. 4.7 stars from 3,474 ratings. They're based in Loughborough, so they're quite um, they're quite local to us. Should we go and get a donut and visit Emily Scarrett? I think we should. I think that sounds like a grand day out. The two proudest things in Loughborough. There's so I've I've just found And that. also also do you wanna know a fun fact, right? Yeah. While we're talking about Loughborough. Yeah. Do you know who so you know Loughborough obviously famously has the, the university that's the biggest sporting university in, yes. in the UK, right? Yeah. Uh, what Loughborough is largely famous for. Yes. Um you never believe who used to play for Loughborough Uni in rugby. Um So, my, so okay. my mate Jordan. 
So, you know, I don't care. So, you know, sorry, Jordan. So, you know, you know, uh, you know the France in rugby? Um, yes, I'm familiar Their with the row, France in rugby. Yeah. Thibaut Flamand, right? Nah, he's from France. I doubt that ever happened. Definitely didn't happen. You played for bloody Loughborough Uni. Nah. But, right, you'd hear that and you'd think... But he played for the first team. Yeah, I was going to say he's an international in it. That you know, why would he play for like one of the the other five teams below it, especially the one that is five teams below it? He played for the fifteen. Doubt it. And since he's a second row, you never guess what position he plays. <sighs> second row. It's got to be second row. There's no other position he could play. Well, he but played fly off, didn't he? <sighs> what a mad oh, story! That's a fun fact that uh, you'll never hear. Do you reckon again? Thibaut Flamont um, ever went to Cutter and Squidge and got a donut? I really hope so. I really hope he's... Maybe that was when he... Why he became a second row, because he started eating too many donuts at Cutter and Squidge. They, they do have 79,500 followers on Instagram. Uh, the, one person I follow follows them, so that's yeah. that, that's that's pretty impressive. Hmm. So, anyway, uh, succession. <laughs> so, yesterday, I, having got in... And figuring I needed to eat something, I needed to watch this game ahead of we're recording this in the morning. And I knew, you know, because it's we're limited the amount of time both of us can make this week. Yes, where because we're not... we are in the Six Nations. Yep, and there's a lot going on. And we've got to also give you time to edit this before Friday. Yes, that's it. Um, and cut out all the chat that isn't about the HBO original series Succession. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I got in and I thought to myself, I reckon watch the game for tomorrow and be prepared and be ready. Or I can watch an episode of the HBO original series Succession. <laughs> I did what like I did wonder why you led with that line. I did wonder why yeah. that was relevant. Also, who are you? Oh, um, like Robbie or Squidge or whatever. Okay, you want to call me Squidge the film of Squidge the film of, and Cutter Squidge. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I make loads of donuts and plays for eight year olds. Yeah, you explained who I am, but you didn't explain who you are for yes. everybody who doesn't know <laughs> who's listening to this. To know that. <laughs> It's just all the all of the big succession fans who really want to hear about yeah. what I think of Kendall Roy. Yes, and Love for Donuts. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I watched that and then I figured I'd watch the game in the morning and I got up at a reasonable time. I went and had a wee, which mm-hmm. is an important part of the story. Was it a good one? I then went back. It was fine. Okay. Went back to bed thinking, right, okay, I'll give myself two minutes to wake up properly and then I'll watch the game. Woke up an hour later. It's always the way it goes. We said we were going to record in about 70 minutes time. So I've crammed this game into just under an hour. Or just over an hour. That's a good superpower. uh, When it's a one hour 45 game. I have fast forwarded through every stoppage and every replay. I have been through... I also, right, had to walk into the office in that time and buy an umbrella because it was raining. And I didn't have one. Did you you watch the game while you were walking? I was going to, but then I saw it was raining. Right. I was, so I was tempted, to, do, to, I was tempted to start watching it using my data on the train home from, from mm. your, your office last night. Uh, no, well, you know, I look, I feel far more prepared to talk about the uh, episode nine of the second series of Succession than I do this game. Yeah. But this game is the one I'm, gonna, I'm doing a podcast on now. Sure, yeah. Uh, I've also... Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there's a... There's an episode of Staff Let's Flats, mm-hmm. um, the Channel 4 original series, where uh, he goes around a flat that has no doors, just ropes, including the front door, and there's just a rope over everywhere there should be a door. And, it, the, you know, the guy's going around the room. No doors, just ropes. Just ropes, bro. That is very much what my notes are like. Okay. There is, they are just 
odd points that resemble note. Like there's something is a placeholder for notes, but they're not actual notes. Sure, I get that. I get that. So yeah, we're on Wales against Tonga from 1987. From yes. Specifically, the 29th of May 1987. Do you want to know a fun fact about this game? Please. This game. A big thing that happened on this day, as well as Wales beating Tonga 29 points to 16, Tim Visser was born on this day. Whoa! Holy shit. So, at some point within a few hours of this game, either starting or finishing, Tim Visser's mother gave birth to a future Scotland international, and little did she know, somewhere in the Netherlands, a Tim Visser was spawned. That is absolutely wild. Yep. Do you want to know some more things that happened on this day? I know Isaac Luke, the former New Zealand rugby league player, was also born on this day. And something about Michael Jackson I looked up. Michael Jackson attempt to buy the remains of the elephant man's body. Yes, that's it. Do you think he was inspired by the birth of Tim Visser to do that? I mean, he was... Yes, yes. I mean, I was going to say he was clearly inspired by the film The Elephant Man about him, which came out a few years prior. Yeah. But also... I think it was mostly the birth of Tim Visser. It yeah. felt like a presence, like a, a wind change somewhere in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, I felt exactly. like suddenly need to change this. Well, Michael um, Jackson was famously a big fan of Tim Visser. John Landis was also found not guilty of the involuntary manslaughter of three actors during one of his films. Well, I doubt that was inspired by the birth of Tim Visser. I had no idea that was a thing that happened. No? Yep. So, famous deaths... Uh, oh, yeah. A stuntman died age 40, uh, an Indian politician who was a former Indian prime minister, and an English composer called Phyllis Tate okay. all died. Those are notable things that happened on the same day as this game, which was, of course, a Friday. Right? Yes. And the commentator in this game repeatedly makes the point, Tonga will probably play much better because this game is playing played on a Friday and their previous game was played on a Sunday and that made them all really upset because they don't like to do things on Sunday because yes. they're deeply religious as a team. So, yeah, he, he really hammered that home, that, that they play better not on a Sunday. And he always <laughs> phrased it like that. He basically would always say, like, the day-to-day is not Sunday. He'd basically frame it that way and say, like, therefore, Tonga are a good team. They're not put off by the fact that they're wishing they were worshipping instead of playing the World Cup. And it's a, look, I understand it it was a factor, and obviously we mentioned on the previous episode that it was, you know, they had to be given special government dispensation, because Sunday was seen as a day where you do nothing in Tonga at the time. Yeah, yeah. Shops didn't open, and, you know. It was a day of worship. Radio and TV weren't allowed to broadcast until 1pm. Yes. Until people had been to church, had the chance to go to church, and, you know, things like that. But, at the same time, you do go, well, the they can still focus and prepare. Not gonna lie, when I play a game, I forget what day it is. Yeah, exactly. I'm not. I'm not spending the day thinking it's Saturday. And it wasn't that like they had the you know they're playing on a Sunday then a Friday thing of a short turnaround. Yeah, like it was no, they were just they were just thrown straight into this. Yeah, yeah. It was the first game of the World Cup. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, it is it is interesting that, but. Yeah, Tonga do play well. They do play their part in this game, in fairness. The other thing before we even get to like anything resembling the teams or kickoff hmm. is when you open the video for this game, the first thing you get is a Welsh choir in the crowd singing yes. Callan Lan and Sospen Fak, including the Who Beat the All Blacks verse in New Zealand, <laughs> which is badass. It does make you realise why the Welsh had the reputation they do for singing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was really great, actually. It was really patriotic. 
And it really stood out amongst all of the crowd. And you could hear it the whole way of these, these handful of Welsh people really singing. And look, it's it's way better having that celebrating the the Scarlets nine three win over the All Blacks um, mm. with the traditional Welsh songs. I'd much rather that than the gangster rap that they tend to play at rugby <laughs> games all the time in all of these games. And look, 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 look um, what they need to do, what they need to do is they just need to absolutely blast out "Land of Hope and Glory." Yeah, yeah on a yeah. loop. Because who, when they hear "Land of Hope and Glory," isn't instantly pumped up to smash? A thousand Tongans. I've got a good question for you, actually. Mm. So, I'm going to give you two songs. Which okay. of these two would you rather hear before a, a big match? Let's say Wales have made a World Cup quarterfinal, right? They're playing against, let's say... Um, Anyone but Ireland, because we, we could lose that. France, like, yeah, okay? Yeah. Much like in 2019, playing against France. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you two songs, okay? You've got to choose which okay. one you would rather hear beforehand. Okay, okay, one of them is I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas as per 2011. Uh, right, every yes. Game. And the other one, this is a real classic. This is this is a big banger that everyone wants to hear before kick-off. Jerusalem. Oh. So, I mean, look, okay. The thing Jerusalem has going for it is it is basically the same song as World in Union, which will have played anyway because it's the World Cup. That's fair. That's a, that's a good point. Okay, swap it out for Land and Hope of Glory. Land of Hope and Glory. <laughs> the problem is, right, whenever anyone in the world hears Land of Hope and Glory, they instantly pull on an England shirt and start and just become English. Yeah, yeah. Like, and passionately Like English. they're in the Dove Men Plus become... Care advert. Exactly. Exactly. They become Ben Young's lavering himself up in oils in the bath. Yeah, yeah. Um, and doing a really and... sexy dive pass. Yeah, and then picking up his kid and going, I'm going to dive bath with you as well, straight into the washing machine. And all of that, right? That's what happens when anyone hears Land, Hope and Glory. They just become instantly, incredibly passionate the English, no matter who yes. they are. Which is why they chose to play gangster at Twickenham in the first place, because <laughs> yeah. they found the opposition all just put on England jerseys, it's game 30 on none. Yeah, yeah. And the, game the referee as well, the yeah. referee as well. Just gave everything England's way. Yeah. Something, something Mike Adamson. Plus, not the, bringing the, anything up. Plus, the, uh, the annoying thing for, uh, for England themselves is the, their kit providers. So, Umbro mm. right now got really annoyed because it just meant that their kit was automatically distributed to everybody and they weren't making any profits yeah. because they were too easily accessible, England shirts. And they had to make so many of them as well. Yeah. Like, they just don't have the numbers to do that. For them all to just vanish from the warehouse. It's they all just, just vanished. They're all just gone. Yeah, and they've got, just appeared on people's torsos. Suddenly, everyone in Twickenham has one on their back. Yeah, and, and everyone watching on telly as well. blazers. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's Well, that's why they have to go to adverts on ITV. Yeah, so instead, because instead they start... Well, the thing is, right, so on BBC, if, the, if there was ever an England game at Twickenham on the BBC, yeah. which there normally isn't, the but the reason there isn't the reason they will go to ITV is because otherwise that would have to come out of taxpayers' money. Uh yeah. That would have to come out of the license fee money. Of course. The money to pay for an England shirt for everyone in the country watching. Yeah, yeah. And like seven million people watched England Scotland on the BBC. Yeah. So you know, you can't can't be doing with that. I can't be giving seven million England and shirts away. That is the story of why England now run out to Da Mystery of Chess Boxing by the Wu Tang clan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly the reason that the moment the anthem's finished, you hear, it is now time to witness the power of street knowledge. <laughs> Rohan, we give it to you. We're no trivia, etc. Um, raw like cocaine, straight from Bolivia. 
So we're talking about Wales against Tonga from the 1987 Rugby World Cup. And do you know what struck me about this match? What struck you, William Reese Owen? Leak Boy is back, and he is older. <laughs> so, talk me through this. So, again, anyone who listened to our Wales-Ireland game will be familiar with Leak Boy, who planted a leak in the ground. And... So yeah, we we hear the the beautiful sounds of Callon Lan being sung from the stands, and before any teams are out on the field or anything, there is a Welshman with a massive leak. Like this leak is probably taller than him. It's it's massive, uh, and he's just carrying it across the pitch like an army cadet, kind mm. of marching across the field. But he's bas- he looks like he has two bodyguards either side of him protecting him and his leak, and then he just vanishes. And I don't know what happened to him. Did, did did the leak plant him in the ground this time? It's a good question, isn't it? I think the... Because the leak previously just fell over a lot. Yes. It was held up by Die the Dragon. Whilst Leak Boy worshipped it. Yes. And I think without that option, without Die the Dragon there, everything falls apart. We need Die the Dragon. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to the teams? <laughs> I think we should move on to Land of Hope and Glory. No, I don't think we should. I think we should move um, on to the this teams. This game is played six months before the release of Straight Outta Compton. Okay. That's which it. made it even more unlikely when at half-time they just pumped out all of Express Yourself. Yeah. That's a banger, to be fair. It is a banger. Should we look at the teams? Sure. So, let's just start with Tonga. Yes, let's. Well, they don't make many changes to their previous game against Canada, but... They do bring in uh, Manu Vanapola, starts on the right wing, uh, not that Manu Vanapola. And they bring in a player called Malu Felice at number eight, which made yes. me very happy that there was a Felice playing. Of no relation I, to Fowl. I imagine he must be some sort of relation. Yeah. He must be a, some sort of cousin somehow. You'd hope so. You'd hope so. But In a way, the Ioannis are all related, but they don't know what the common link is. Mm, yes. Monty Ioanni is Digby's nephew, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. But then the Ioani brothers that play for New Zealand... Yes, Rico and Akira. ...are supposedly no relation. Yeah. But having looked into it, that surname only comes from one very small village. Oh, so, okay. like, they are related, like, but very far back. Similar to the Umangas. something similar with a lot of... Umanga, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I imagine there's probably a similar link with the Felices, and, you know, there's a lot of, like, South Sea Island surnames that probably... Sure. All come from the same sort of space. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. They also bring in Mofuke Tuungafasi who, for his first mm. cap, who is, of course, the father of Ofad, the current All Blacks tight head, uh, and yes. his brother who plays provincial rugby in New Zealand. So that's that's another new family tie that we have in here, which is pretty cool. There's so many of them yeah. popping up. I love it, though. I really enjoy like seeing, like, oh, yeah, your dad's playing. And again, they happen, you know, throughout the Welsh team as well. Yes. You've obviously got the Moriarty brothers who spawned Ross yep. at the minute. Well, not both of them. No, both of them did. Oh, both okay. Both of them did. Okay. Well, no, I mean, a normal person in order to spawn a Ross Moriarty would need two. That's that's but, very fair. Yeah. But I reckon either Richard or Paul could have managed it on their own. Yeah, that's fair. And we both keep forgetting which one is actually Ross's dad. But because Paul. we are young. But yes, so Dick Moriarty moves in the second row from number eight to accommodate for Phil Davis coming in at number yeah. eight. Who is, of course, the current coach of Namibia. Is he not? No, he's left Namibia. Left Namibia. Um, 
Yep, of course, the current coach of Namibia is Alex Okotse. Of course it is, of course it is. But Phil Davis uh, previously coached Phil Davis is the World Rugby Director of Rugby or oh, something. Oh, of course he is, which I have no idea He's what that director actually means of coaching does. for World Rugby. No one knows. But no. Ward Rugby have given him a job. He's on the payroll. That's all that matters. Because he's got such a good career throughout everything else. Yeah. At one point during this game, the commentator says, talks over his most famous moment on the rugby pitch, which is being punched by Wade Dooley. <laughs> yes. So didn't they say that both him and Adrian Hadley have both been punched by Wade Dooley at different points? Well, they, they pull to him, you know, him walking away and he's like, Phil Davis, of course, this is the man famous for being punched by Wade Dooley. <laughs> well, weren't most people punched by Wade Dooley, though? Like, if Most people were punched by Wade Dooley. If, if that's a way to become famous, like, you know, it might as well be you become famous by, by pulling on an England rugby jersey. Look, it's the old saying, in the future, everyone will have 15 minutes where they get punched by Wade Dooley. Yes, that is a famous saying. To carry on with the Wales team, so in the backs, they bring in Malcolm Dacey at 10, mm. experienced player, for his last cap. Which yeah. is a well, shame. His first game for three years at Fly Half. Yes. He's won a handful of caps at fullback, but Jiffy had happened in between. Yes. Uh, but he was very much a Fly Half. Like, uh, he, he went on a Lions tour, didn't he, DC? I'm pretty sure. Um, I but don't... he's he's quite a sort of well thought upon 10 for Wales in the 80s. But as you say, Jiffy happened, so Dacey was sort of pushed out of the team. But, mm. you know, a decent 10 in all by all accounts. And they also, of course, bring on the wing Glenn Webb. And of course, as soon as I saw his name on there, I was like, oh, it's that game, is it? Yes. So uh, Malcolm Dacey, to pick up on him, yes. played one game for the British and Irish Lions. In The British and Irish Lions played the rest of the world in order to celebrate the... Oh, no, it's at the Cardiff Arms Parks. Okay. In order to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the International Rugby Board's formation. Oh, okay. That's quite cool. So he played for the British and Irish Lions in that game. I'll tell you what, when you look through the team... So he replaced John Rutherford, okay. who started. He came on for him. Do you want to hear the team for the British Lions? Go on. So this was in 86. It was the year before this World Cup. Okay. It was also used as a potential launch pad for the World Cup as well. And they okay. started talking about it and so on after this. So the teams, right? Um, and I'd seen this briefly and I've got planned on mentioning it on one episode, but we're doing it now. Mm-hmm. Gavin For the British Irish Lions, Gavin Hastings, Trevor Ringland, Brendan Mullen, John Devereaux, John Rutherford, Robert Jones, Jeff Whitefoot, Colin Deans, Des Fitzgerald, Wade Dooley, Donald Levin, John Jeffrey, John Beatty. It's a pretty strong team. Malcolm Dacey was one of the two used replacements alongside Ian Paxton. Mm-hmm. Opposite them, Serge Blanco, Andrew Slack, Michael Liner at 13. Wow. Wayne Smith, the future coach. Bloody hell. Playing, you know, the professor himself. Yeah. Wow. So he was in. You then have, oh, him at 10 with Nick Farr Jones at 9. Right. Enrico Rodriguez, the suspicious Australian. Oh, yes, of course. Prop. Tom Lawton. Gary Knight, who doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so I assume it's my friend's dad. Okay. Because uh, I've got a friend whose dad is called Gary yeah. Knight. Yeah. And I assume it's him. Sounds likely. Steve Cutter. Shulk Burger. Excuse me, what? Oh, senior, 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 oh. senior. It's his dad. Oh, okay, that's cool. The father of... Oh, that's cool. And then Mark Shaw and Simon Pevendron. Okay. The final score was 7-15 to the rest of the world. It sounds like a great game. The game was played during a massive storm and was basically ruined by enormous, enormous rain. Right. Which is really, 
really fitting for the 100th anniversary of rugby. Yes, it definitely is. It sounds like a game everyone wants to be involved in. When you said uh, that you really want to get this at some point, I was I was really expecting Dr. Jeff Banterfield to be involved. But Well, I think I realise now that I left it out because it was pretty boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. But hey, thanks for the intel. But hey, those were who considered the best players in the world. Yes. Because uh, it was genuinely a worldwide search, and they very controversially included a few South Africans. Oh, right. Which they wouldn't normally have done, considering, you know, they didn't have the World Cup for apartheid. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. So, yeah, so the... the anything else to say on the Welsh team? Let's, I mean, talk, Gareth let's Roberts, talk about the, Glenn um... Webb before we uh, get into the, the yes. game itself. Because Glenn Webb, so he's quite often told the story of this game. It's it's quite a well-known mm. match within sort of Welsh rugby folklore. Glenn Webb was the first black man to ever play for Wales. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't? No, Mark Brown won one cap about a year earlier. Oh, okay. So he's the second. He's the second, okay. But he was seen as the first sort of black icon yes. in Welsh sort of culture He was the first kind of... And... Yeah, figure. You know, yes. he's the first like known player. Yes, and I made that. I know Mark Brown was because I'd made that mistake myself in a video. Okay, um, fair enough. My video on Roy France, I referred to Glenn Webb as the first black player. Fair enough. Yeah. Was in no, my apologies. And it was a year earlier. Um, Mike Brown did. It seems Not like Mike Brown. Sorry, Mark Brown. Yes, it seems like a stat that that is thrown around quite a lot, uh, even if wrongly. So Glenn Webb scores the first try in this game. Not to get ahead of us. Yes. But that is the first try scored by a person of color for Wales. Wow, that's brilliant. That's amazing. And yeah, Glenn Webb just seems like a generally really good bloke. Like I get mm. really good vibes from him, and like when they've had him on Scrum Five and passed before and stuff. And like Glenn Webb's Wikipedia page is really interesting. Uh, if you go on mm. there, because uh, he talks about it talks about that um, he was one of the first people Gareth Thomas came out to wow. and said okay. that you know he understands what it's like like to sort of feel like an outsider in a, in, in a Welsh sports team. Yeah, and apparently Glenn Webb was just really, really uh, good for like gently helping him come out and everything. And yeah, like he's done loads and um, for like you know anti-racism stuff in Wales and sport and stuff. It's great. The other thing was that, and I'm not the person qualified to talk about this, so I don't want to get into yes. too detail. But Mark Brown passed, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was quite a light-skinned black person, right? And so has said himself, like, well, no, had you know, but it's as himself, he never faced much in the way of racial abuse yeah. or racial was treated that differently whereas Glenn Webb was and yeah. there was a lot of pushback and even when he became you know this kind of Welsh player and as his Wikipedia page states like he's Wales' first black icon yeah. and they don't just mean Welsh rugby like yeah, yeah. Wales like as a nation culture, yeah. like he was huge in terms of race relations in Wales yeah. and like I remember our grandmother saying once that of someone she'd met once in Cardiff Saying, oh, he was lovely. I mean, he was black, but he was lovely. Jesus Christ, that's an awful thing. And it was like, a, that. yep, that is horrible. I understand what you mean is... I, I understand you You think it's a nice thing that you've said, yeah, but that is horrible. It is. And I think that was the general kind of vibe around mm. a lot of Wales. Yes. I remember, Again, I remember our granddad saying he didn't meet someone who wasn't white till he was in his like, late 20s. Wow. So... I think you can't overstate the importance of not just Glenn Webb coming in for this game and playing, but then going on to score a hat trick yeah. as he does, yeah. and be you know close to the like his his individual performance. In match. Yeah, his individual mm. performance in this game is still talked about to this day, like more so than probably the rest of the World Cup that Wales yeah. went on to kind of play. Well, it's 
It's probably the second most, from a Welsh perspective, it's the second most famous thing in this World Cup to yes. Adrian Hadley try and Paul Foyle on kick yeah. in the yeah. first place that match. we'll come to. Another fun thing about Glenn Webb that I didn't know until yesterday, he was on mm. Gladiators. What? Yes. Glenn with Webb. Darcy Graham's dad? Yeah, I was going to say, at some point we need to cover this with friend of the pod, Cammy Black, as our Gladiators expert. <laughs> Look, I know that Glenn Webb's not Scottish, but I'm sure that Cammy could make an exception. Oh, man. I mean, he was just an incredible athlete as well, I mm, think. Yes. Um, he was incredibly, incredibly fast. Very. And um, agile. As turns out, and far stronger than a winger of his build, because he wasn't like a, a big winger at all. Far stronger than a winger of his build should be. And a few times he just shrug, shrugs off tackles from bigger men. Yeah. The, so, uh, not to sort of... Um, we can we can do this mm. slightly out of order, but Webb's first try that he scores yes. very early on in the game, it's about probably five minutes in, if that. He runs a really, really nice support line off... Uh, I think it's mm. Hopkins, makes sort of a half break. Hopkins, yeah. And Hopkins times the pass to him perfectly. And Webb just like looked very comfortably like he's going to finish from there, which isn't something you can often say about many winners in this World Cup. And he just looks really composed finishing that try. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's it's great. I think both do very well. Yeah. It's very calmly made, that break. It is, yeah. And, yeah, then Hopkins... How many selfish centres wouldn't give this pass in this and, World Cup? Yeah. And the commentary make the point of how rare it is to see a winger looking for work like Glenn Webb does and mm. wrapping around from the of other wing. Of course, he's got it on the left wing, doesn't he? Finding space. When he's playing yeah, on the right, yeah. yeah. Can I just mention, since we've moved on, yeah. uh, my favourite Glenn Webb story. Go on. Which I thought was going to come up. So as I mentioned, Glenn Webb played top-level rugby for Wales in the 80s. Yes. Which, yeah. You look at Ashton Hewitt a few years ago saying like he was getting monkey chance until he played at international, pretty much like yeah. for Wales on 20s level. And Glenn Webb once had, when he was playing, I believe, Welsh Prem, mm-hmm. when he was playing for Bridge End, Glenn Webb had a banana thrown at his feet whilst he was waiting for a scrum to start. Jesus Christ, man. Yep. By a fan who had brought in a banana in order to throw it at him from an opposition team. Webb picked the banana up, peeled it, took one bite and threw it back into the crowd. <laughs> that is the most casual Just response. You can get. If, if, very calmly. Like, that is the best comeback he could have given. Yeah. Not that he needed to give a comeback, but given he opted to, that's the best thing he could have done. Apparently he got a huge cheer from the crowd. Good lad. Good lad. I've never heard that story before. That's mm. That's obviously terrible that that happened. Yeah. But... Just continues... I think it tells you a lot about him. Yes, it continues the narrative of Glenn Webb being a good lad, doesn't it? Yes. Which, yeah, he very much is. So, looking at the the kickoff from the game, right? Mm. We get a couple of minutes in, and the commentators bring up a big rugby values moment. Are yes. you, you're aware of what I'm about to talk about, right? So, the Tongan halfback, Tala Fafita, loses a boot mm. from his foot. And he goes down to tie his shoelaces up. And Richard Moriarty, being the big rugby values man and captain that he is, very generously, in the name of goodwill, according to the commentators, lets Fafita put his boot on before Wales throw into a line-out. And so the the co-commentator says, I think that the rule about the boot comes off, play goes on, is stupid. And apparently it was an established rule that in rugby, if somebody's boot comes off, the referee's not allowed to stop the game to let them tie it up, and that's something they discussed. Well, I thought it was the other way around. I thought it was the opposite. I thought, no, because I was pretty sure the point they were making was that the game does stop if a boot comes off, but it doesn't stop for an injury necessarily. Oh, okay. Because he was saying, like, I think it's stupid that 
this game has stopped because a boot's come off. But sometimes you see this happens and there's like free injuries at the same no, time. No, it was, it was, he was saying that they usually say play on because of boot coming off because this happens two or three more times in this game. And there's a point where somebody loses a boot and the commentator says, oh yeah, well, he's lost his boot. He's going to have to run to the sidelines to put that on while play goes on. So the commentator was very angry about it. But Dick Moriarty was being very, um, very reasonable. And it's very just rugby, not a dick. rugby values, man. Letting your opposition player put a boot on before you throw into a line out. You won't get this in football. It's just different. Rugby's just different. Rugby is you know? so so it's just very different. different. It's just very, very different. Yeah. I just want to check my notes and realize I have no notes on this half an hour because it was while I was walking around getting changed and brushing my teeth in that that I was watching it. Okay. And I have no notes on this opening half hour. That's fine. But do you want to hear my notes on Succession, the HBO original series? Yes. Great. Um, so I was half expecting you to just say no, like a, like a little... Yeah, but I want, I want to test Um, your improv skills. No, 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 no. So look, here's the thing, right? I would talk about it in more detail, but I'm also, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who is Ah, earlier in watching it. Anyone who doesn't, no, 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 who, you know, hasn't watched it because it's very good. And it is one of those where everyone is despicable and I find myself sort of rooting for them. They realize like, no, if these people are real and they are because these, these these are the Murdochs, I would absolutely hate all of them with a, a desperate passion. And yet you find yourself weirdly rooting for them, and they're going like, wait, no, no, you're a prick, and I don't want this to happen. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I've recently recently finished uh, the Netflix series You, which is about mm. like a mad stalker and mass murderer who is the protagonist, uh, and like he is a complete piece of shit. And then you have moments where you go like, oh, oh, how's he going to get away with this? Oh, no, he's nearly not got away. Wait, why do I want him to get away with it? He's an idiot. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's the entire show. So I, I, I sympathize with that. Mm. Well, and because Succession, like it's it's about the Murdochs, but they have changed just enough details that they won't get sued by the richest people in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair enough. So that it's literally... Like I, I've googled this before, and I started reading about the real Murdochs in comparison. Then been like, oh wait, no, is this spoilers? Am I reading spoilers <laughs> for Succession? Yeah, because I'm reading about the real. I do hate it when on. real life gets in the way of the spoilers of whatever you're binging. Right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the whole thing. They've literally just changed the fact that the dad is now Scottish rather than Australian, and that is it. Right. That is, an, and they changed the name. Yeah. And otherwise, that is basically it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is an impressive way to not get sued by those dicks. <laughs> it's also, bizarrely, and this is a fact, mostly for you, I reckon most people have seen it probably know this, okay. but from the creators of Peep Show. What? It's a one-hour HBO original drama, like one of, you know, the most successful and talked about dramas in the world. From the creators of Peep Show. Oh my god. I've now got this 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 image in my head of David Mitchell playing Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> Uh, which is it just just seems fun. Well, yeah, for because like every now and again, because you're sort of sucked into this drama about business and Steve Walsh appears in it, yeah, uh, yeah. as every character yeah. and so on. And the guy from the Vampire Squid appears as well. The guy from the Vampire Squid and Steve Walsh running a bakery. Yeah, uh, this would be a great program with Mark Corrigan. This. We should we should use our connection to HBO and pitch this. We should. And yeah, and then every now and ago, every now and again, there's a line you go like, oh yeah, this is from the critters of Peep Show. <laughs> 
That's incredible. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's what, that's what this is. Well, it, th- I remember once hearing a theory that whenever somebody get like is angry or there's like, like an mm. angry speech, if you stick the word Jeremy on it, you can listen to it in Mark Corrigan's voice. <laughs> you can very easily hear it as Peach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is is it's just very accurate. So test that next time you you watch any HBO series. Just stick the word mm. Jeremy on the end of whatever somebody says and imagine it as David Mitchell and you're sorted. It makes the program better. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, uh, rugby. Rugby. The other thing that happens in the first half an hour. Uh, other than Tong will make a nice break down the short side with Fafita and it, there's always something I enjoy that happens loads in this World Cup is the dummy to no one Eteaki yes. does it uh, and it works uh, Rob, Jones Rob Jones tries it. it Rob Jones tries it twice right and he's clearly doing it as like a selfish thing it's because he wants what? to make a break and then like gives it to somebody who is pass- like inevitably going into touch whereas he could have put this... them for a break one time that he throws a dummy from the base of the scrum and the ball is not yet at the back of the scrum. And I genuinely think he begins to pass and just has to style it out because the ball isn't there. There's, yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. I know exactly the one you're referring to. There's a few strange Rob Jones moments and the commentators are hell-bent on convincing us he's having an incredible game. Whereas he is fine but he also does kick the I... ball out out of fear, like, multiple times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he would be a man of match contention for me. Would he? Not because he's great, but because I think he's above the standard of this game still. He's sure. Very, he's a very clean player. I have kind of noticed that in the in this World Cup so far, it's kind of the two worst games have been the two Wales games. Oh, no. I don't think this is awful. No, it's not. I did watch it at, like, eight times speed. But I kind of found myself supporting Tonga a few times during this game. Because, well, well, yeah. There's a point just after the second Wales try, I believe. Yes. Where Tonga have a series of attacks with the ball and they get into the 22 and they have an attack in the 22. And the commentator says, look at this from Tonga against the mighty Welsh. They're really playing like champions at the moment. <laughs> yeah, The commentators were also hell-bent on t- like, telling us that Tonga were the better team. And that they were like mm. the one team who deserved... They literally said, like, Wales may be in the lead, but as far as we're concerned and the crowd are concerned, this is completely one-sided, and Tonga are the one team that are worth watching here. And it's just that, mate, they've not got a try yet. And yeah, I do think as well, even though the commentators are in the complete opposite direction, yeah. there is a lot of tier one bias going on from the referee. Right? <laughs> 
There's there's a lot of bullshit calls that all go against Tom. Yeah. And I don't think they go two Wales. I think they go against Tom. Yes. Yeah. And like there's there's plenty of times where, you know, like Dick Moriarty gives somebody three stripes down their back and a few, a few moments like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tonga are... Like a toothpaste. He gives them some toothpaste yes. on the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is something that he always carried with him on the rugby field was toothpaste. Yes. Gotta stay fresh, bro. Yeah, exactly, bro. And, you know, typically most of his opposite numbers didn't have teeth uh, in, mm. in the back in the 80s. But, yeah, he, he always brought toothpaste with him. Because you never know when you might need it on the rugby field. That's that's an important lesson for any, any young kids listening to this podcast. But, uh, yes, well... Yeah, so uh, Tonga quite a lot of times are just trying to play their part in the game and the referee just isn't having it. Referee Dave Bishop from Australia, who is down on ESPN Scrum as DJ Bishop! Wait a minute, we've got another David Bishop? Yes, another David like Bishop. the one who had just retired from playing rugby in Wales. Yes. And the one who would later go on to play rugby in Wales. Yes. Wow. Yeah, another one. Another one. And another and one. Do you, want, do you want some incredible synergy? Go on. Glenn Webb famously said, because he figured that he thought that Die Bishop, the scrum half, should have had more caps. Uh, when he was asked about, you know, do you feel like you were treated unfairly by selectors because on the basis of your race and so on, mm-hmm. uh, he said, well, Die Bishop wasn't black and he was underrepresented. <laughs> or words to that effect. Right. I mean. As a quip. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Glenn Webb being a good lad. Yeah. One of those quips that wouldn't be made nowadays. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Should we look at Glen Webb's for, second try? Many cultural, I mean, like for many cultural reasons. In the, anyway, well, yeah, let's, sure, let's, let's look at Glen Webb's other try. Yes. So it's a really nice chip by Mark Ring to put him in. So mm. Wales kind of work it wide a little bit. And Ring, it looks like the wrong option because of. It always looks like the wrong option because wingers don't hold their width Every, in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a really nice chip for Webb to actually gather on the full, like into the corner. Yeah, and he, he dives in. It's it's questionable and, whether he gets in before the hidden corner flag, but regardless, it's well taken. Uh, Philea, his opposite number, number 11 for Tonga, then does a pretty good attempt at putting him out, but I think it is a great finish by Webb, and from the replays, it does look like he, he scores yeah. it. Philea then looks up to the referee to check if the try's been given, sees the arm go in there, and then starts going, no! And then gets angry with himself for not making the tackle. And then... And then? And then, while sat down, he just slaps Webb around the face. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yes. He's so, sort of kneeling on Webb, like, in a natural position as you do after a try has been yeah. scored. And then he's really <laughs> angry and he just, just gets up. And it's not subtle at all. Like, he, 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 get, he really winds it up. Like, his arm is above his head. And then he just slaps Webb full force I... out, of, out of frustration. <laughs> I think he's more like trying to slap his own thigh. I out think he of is angry but himself because he, he looks really angry with himself. But instead, he just smacks the guy in the face. Yeah, and it's it's really funny. Like it, it really made me laugh out loud, and I had to like go back and watch this like three times to check that was actually what happened. And it is. It's uh, it's 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 a fun one. What a fun fun little guy Flair is. Mark Ring has an interesting game he because. Does. Everything he does is the kind of thing that if Owen Watkin or Nick Tompkins did it these days, he would write a column in Wales Online on how players have no skill anymore. Yes. You you know what? You're spot on. You, you're genuinely spot on because, like, he does have a few nice touches. Like, there's a nice Other break than maybe, he makes. Yeah, his, his um, touch for the Hadley try. Yeah. 
uh, is very nice. Yeah. Where he kind of drifts through times as past. Well, no, it's a uh, Rob Jones puts a lovely chip in. He regathers yes. it, drifts a bit, and flicks some lovely hands to Adrian Hadley, who scores it's in the corner. It's a really like unselfish pass to put uh, Hadley in the corner. He's like an inch out from the try line. Yeah. And there's there's some really nice bits, but there's him like he attempts a cross kick that goes out in the full. He tries this kick that this Glenn Webb scores off, but the kick. The space is there, but there's no one chasing it. Yeah. Until after he's put the kick in. Exactly. And since Webb is so rapid and such a good finish, yeah. he gets there. I'll tell you what, right? Give it to Glenn doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? No. No, it doesn't. As a tactic. But yeah, and there's a lot of him like attempting kicks. At one point, he anticipates Strong going to chip. Fair enough. We gathers it in his own 22. And then just like walks around the 22 for about 10 seconds. It's confusing, isn't it? Kicking yeah, it out. yeah, yeah. You think the whistle's gone or something? Because he's just stood there, like, dawdling around. Yeah. And no one's chasing him down. He, he drops a lot of balls un- under no pressure as well. Mm. And look, I understand that I have regularly criticised players for doing things that I could never do. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Of you course, know, of course. so that's not it. But it is quite funny, like, seeing Mark Ring doing all this. Because Mark Ring's pieces are often very negative. Um, <laughs> and there is an era, an, an air of, oh, back in my day, when it was the glory mm-hmm. glory days, the golden age. And it just baffles me that people think that rugby was more skillful in 1987. Looking back at this, it's very but funny. He had remembered for moments like those quick hands to Hadrian Hadley. Yes, which was excellent. And for, yeah, you know, the odd lovely pass and so on. Yeah. The odd dummy through. I don't think there's a general all-round higher skill level in someone like Owen Watkin. No. Nowhere near. You know? There's no... <laughs> but Team Watkin on this podcast, aren't we? Yep. Malcolm Dacey loves a strip as well. He does. He does. I think three times he strips an opposition player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ball, like Owen Watkin. Yeah. Just carrying the Owen Watkin theme free. Yeah. Can we make everything in this podcast about either Owen Watkin or Succession? I think Owen Watkin should be in Succession. I think Owen Watkins should be like unveiled as the extra Royce. What do you think Owen Watkins would be like as an actor? Terrible. Me too. I remember I think he... Owen Watkins would be a terrible actor. When lockdown had just become a thing, and he mm. did a thing for the Osprey social media where he said like, oh yeah, to any young kids out oh, there, I yes. uh, hope you're doing well. You know, it's annoying that these guidelines are in place, but try to keep saying. And he looked really uncomfortable in front of his he... own camera phone. It was in front of his stairs, wasn't it? He was doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, perfectly nice set of stairs. I also just but... used the, the phrase camera phone, but yeah. <laughs> Hello, 2010. Yeah. We should do a podcast on next year's World Cup. That's a good idea. So I love the Black Eyed Peas. The fact that I, I remember where Owen Watkin was in his house in that video <laughs> <laughs> says all you need to about how glistening a screen presence he is. Yes, I, I think that's... Dan... Yeah. Dan Bigger was an aspiring actor as a teenager. Of course he was. Yeah. Aspiring actor, tennis player, and fly half. Yes, he played a lot of tennis as well, and rugby, and used to act, mm. used to tread the boards. Yeah. I wonder what he was like. As an, do you think he like... Because I can't see him as somebody who overact at all, especially when referees are around. I just t- don't see that as part of his uh, personality. What do you reckon? Dan Bigger is the sort of act, would be the sort of actor who views doing comedy as going down a gear. And wants to be doing basically like all out Shakespeare type stuff, like real sure. melodrama all the time. Or like if if Dan Bigger was in a film, he he wouldn't be in, you know, one of these stupid like Shaun of the Dead style things. Ugh, he doesn't want any of that. He would want a a real 
Hollywood classic like The Revenant, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he wouldn't want he wouldn't want a part like The Bear or something like that. He wouldn't he wouldn't want something threatening like that. He would want to be in it for real, man. He would Dan that is absolutely right though. Dan Bigger would want to do a role where he's freezing his bollocks off and he is sleeping inside a dead horse for three nights. <laughs> part of the preparation for the role. Yes. He's sleeping inside a dead horse for three nights? Yeah. The the cryotherapy has really changed in the last <laughs> ten years. <laughs> yeah, budget fridge in Poland. Yeah, yeah. It's like in lockdown when they can't afford flights to the fridge in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> when you order your cryo chamber off wish <laughs> so back to the game mm. the tongan tactics i think were very interesting so they mentioned <laughs> the... sorry tongan had tactics well they had kind of like if let's say the 1331 is like plus 100 on tactics right because that's that's a positive right. tactic Tonga were in like minus ninety on tactics. Okay. So uh, if if it was like a FIFA rating score, uh, so it was mentioned a few times in the commentary that Tapeleti Tuuta, who was playing number six for Tonga, was actually playing as an eighth back. So they were playing a formation mm. of seven forwards and eight backs. But uh, they put him on on attacking scrums to try and win the thing, because spoiler alert, Wales won pretty much every single scrum in the game. It felt like it, Bar certainly, didn't it? even if there wasn't. I think there was a couple that yes. Tonga won. There's one where they do a proper Falatau-style rescue mission, the ball on their own try line. Yes. And he somehow goes forward, which is heroic by Felice. Yes. Which is a sentence that will come up a lot in World Rugby Absolutely. in the future. Yeah. So there's a, there's, a, there's a handful of scrums that Tonga win, including there's mm. one where they get it on the Welsh line. So they, they manage to force the ball, mm. Wales carry it back behind their own try line, dot it down, meaning... It's a one meter scrum because yes. it's not a scrum five at this point. It's a one meter scrum. Tonga get absolutely monstered in the scrum, and their nine picks the ball up and goes for the line. Wales then use the tactic of everybody mark the nine because he's obviously not going to pass the ball, <laughs> and so three of their backs hold him up, uh, and Tonga get another scrum. And this time they decide, well, seeing as that one went so well, and we were lucky to retain the ball. Let's go into this scrum and just with only seven forwards. And so they, their number eight just doesn't bind, just doesn't engage or push in the scrum, <laughs> and he just stays out. And clearly the tactic is, wait for the ball to come back because I want to score myself instead of the scrum half. <laughs> so don't bind in the first place because the reaction times at this point were so slow that you couldn't yeah. simultaneously push and pick up the ball. And so obviously Wales just murder them in the scrum and push yeah. them back and actually win the ball back which I thought was a really funny approach to scrummaging by the Tongans and I, look if I as a scrum half can analyse that then yeah <laughs> outstanding work yeah <coughs> oh! speaking of that's my analysis of the scrum yeah so I really really think that but also I have some other thoughts far next yeah so I mean should we do the Tongan try from the first half yeah let's do it what a try. What a try. What a try. What a try. Any try that involves the entire front row handling in succession the greatest HBO original series and then gets spread out to the opposite wing who scores. Good with me. All within one phase, right? All within one phase. Yeah. That, cause, because rucks didn't really happen at this point because everyone was scared of contact. Yeah. Like, it often happens that, like, you will get, like, 20 passes in one phase because... <laughs> No one takes so they him. have about three passes that lead to the hooker, Fukubaka, 
making a little break, going through. He then draws and passes the one prop, who draws and passes the other prop. Then Tupo, the father of, really charges into the 22, really makes a lot of ground up, carries really well, is stopped by Welsh tacklers, but they do that kind of like smugly maul thing that they yes. do at the time. And then they spread it out to the other touchline. And that's like a grey area on whether that counts, because it's sort of a maul. Yeah, but no one cared. No. No, 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 no. And they spread it right out to the other touchline. Where, whoa, yes, Tom were ready and waiting. It is Fialea himself this time who steps the last man and goes over, and yeah, finishes it really nicely. It's it's one of the tries of the tournament because that yeah. started probably about sixty meters further out from the try line. Yeah, and involves great. all three front rowers making like fifty meter runs and offloads. Yeah, and like not screwing it up because most players yeah. do at this World Cup. This is why we should prop, trust all props of all rugby. Exactly, exactly. And just get rid of all the other players. Not worth it. Yeah. I tell you what, goal kicking, generally more solid in this game. Definitely, yeah. Like, Paul, Paul Thorburn, Thorburn missed one he really should get. But yes. other than that, yeah. you know what? It's all right. It's pretty all good. Right with it. I also forgot to mention a minute ago when you did that burp, there's a point where Keith Quinn burps on Mike. Really? <laughs> yeah, in the commentary. And I, really I tell you what. It. We have taken, uh, we have extracted a lot of urine from Keith Quinn, but he does, he does use one really good line in this game, where uh, Malcolm Dacey just kicks it straight down Ekatai, the Tongan fullback. Yes. He's a very good player. Very yeah, good player. yeah, I enjoy him just a lot. He kicks it straight down his, his throat, and he says that's what you'd call a room service kick, he didn't have to go far at all. Yes. <laughs> and that's a Bill McLaren line. I thought, like, that's... A... That's like... Dallin really Stanford at his best. That's really funny. Yeah, I really enjoyed and that. It comes completely out of nowhere, because I've watched like 10 games of this guy commentating, and he's such a dry cracker right? of a commentator. Like, it, 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 it sounds awful, but he feels like something I would have studied in my English language degree uh, for like <laughs> yes. archaic English. That's, that's the vibe I often get from the commentary of old rugby matches. But, and then, yeah, he pulls like a peak Bill McLaren moment. Yeah, it's a peach of, of a one-liner, isn't it? Like, I loved that. The room service take. It's very good. Yeah, as, as you say, Bill McLaren, Dallin Stanford would, yeah. would be proud of that. Jamie Lyle, friend of the party. Jamie Lyle, yeah. De- oh, yeah, yeah. That's Look, Jamie, if you're listening, you can have that one and we'll all, <laughs> we'll all be in on it, you know? Everyone else will think it's you and it's genius. It's like um, how on, on Rugby Challenge they reused the that'll put him in Ward 4 line. I hope not, Justin. That's the maternity ward. Except they deliver it really badly, whereas Bill McLaren... I hope not, Justin. That is the... Hello? Is this is this the hospital? Um, uh, the maternity ward. Maternity ward. The man from... Coventry has 12 internationals. <laughs> Some Grant Nisbet for you. We, we very briefly had him on Check the podcast the there team. as a guest. That was, yeah, that was... he lost his accent, which is remarkable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he knew he was on a British podcast. Well, so it's the thing, to... yeah. Uh, had to had to go to the, the other set through the hemisphere to get into character for some, of somebody who understands all the hemisphere rugby. leaves his accent behind with him sometimes. He just like he drops it, it just falls off. Yeah, yeah. But that's 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 a skill that Mister Clean would aspire to have. Speaking of falling off, yes, um, we have four players go off injured in this game. Mm-hmm. We do, uh, which the commentators use at the end, <laughs> keeping to Keith. 
Keith Quinn says is a real positive of how good a game it was that four <laughs> players went off injured because the tackles were that big. Yes, yes. And we'll get to the fifth injury very soon. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. So Steve Blackmore comes on at halftime. The visuals on screen mm. show it as Alan Phillips, who I, I thought was legally called team manager Alan Phillips. <laughs> team manager Alan Phillips, But yeah, yeah turns out he played for Wales. He's one of those people, that, like how Clive Woodward played for England, right? Yeah. And no one remembers it or knows it happened. He was kind of invented in about 1999. Yeah. And people just went like, oh, yeah, by the way, you played for Wales. Like, I know Alan Phillips played for Wales, but I didn't believe it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but he he sure as hell was on that bench, but didn't didn't come on. And of course, there was a there was a limit of substitutions that you could make. So each team was allowed two substitutions, mm. but only because of injuries they were, were they allowed to use them. So yeah, Wales Wales made their two substitutions, and so Tonga. And as you say, what a, what a great positive that is, Keith. So okay. However, the <laughs> I don't want to say the best replacement, but the best moment at which some after someone goes off, right? Yes. So the Tongan prop, uh, I believe it's Lutua, is taken off. Yes. And Vallejo comes on, and he's being half carried off by one of the medics. At which point, onto the field runs the Tongan Santa, apparently. <laughs> yes. A man in a bright red, like, bright red, like, Santa-style tracksuit type thing. Yeah. With a bobble hat. Which was red with a white bobble. A red, and red, yeah, red, white bobble hat runs on. And you go, hold on, who's Tongan Santa here? Right. And then, right, have you looked up who this is? No. No. So, this was uh, one of the Tongan coaches at the time. Okay. Right? Who is a man called Jerry John Fletcher, or JJ as he was known, right? Yeah. Who is an American who moved to Tonga to coach rugby despite knowing nothing about the sport. Oh my god! So, turns out, Ted Lasso happened in Tonga in 1987. That's incredible! And he decided that he was Santa. <laughs> yep. Because he dressed like that. He didn't have the moustache, but he dressed like Santa. Look, if that is something that happened in Ted Lasso Series 3, I would not be surprised. No. Like, Ted Lasso, like as a Christmas special, decides to dress like Santa because he thinks it will bring cheer to his players. So, okay. So, do you want to know some facts about Jerry Fletcher? I really JJ do. Fletcher. Like, I really, really do. JJ Fletcher, right was a genuine Texas cowboy. No. He was a US Army Navy SEAL, right? <laughs> and it was only after he retired from the US military that he went to Tonga and started coaching. Uh, he discovered, so he discovered rugby when he was in the army and had done it a bit. And then went like, oh, I enjoyed playing that three times. Let's go and coach it. It's in international level. Cup. <laughs> yep. Uh, he's basically talked about as being like enormously charismatic and charming, like Ted Lasso. He is also the youngest bull rider in the state of Texas's history. Oh my god! When he was 14, he he competed in a bull riding competition. At 14! How the hell did he end up in Tonga? So, yeah, he's talked as as one of the... He's always up for a challenge and one of the most affable people you'll ever meet. Yeah, I bet. Did he top the country charts at any point? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, I missed this bit when I because I skimmed through he 
he, he he sadly passed away a few years ago right. in 2017 and i've been reading i found the obituary on him which details his life in some detail and there are moments i'm now picking out now that i'd i completely this is amazing missed. yeah he was known for his soulful ta- texan accent uh, and his ability to tell very colorful stories so he was also right a dance instructor on weekends right was a very apparently very light foot and a very very good dancer like Ted Lasso. Yeah. I like Santa Claus. Well, yes. He was once hauled in front of army officers in a, for dressing down, uh, for, you know, for not wearing uniforms yeah. and so on, and made a heartfelt promise to never do that again and did it the following, you know. He was kind of a cheeky so-and-so. Right. Like just being, a, again, just immensely charming as the whole thing that yes. comes through, like everything you read about him. Because there's not that much online about him. Yeah. As you would yes, expect. He was just, yeah. Yeah. He seems just very deeply loved around there. He also then, so other thing that, you know, I just, I, I they found out he was married to his wife Janice for 45 years. Oh, that's nice. And apparently they were just like, even at the end, even, you know, in the, by 2017 when he died, they were still very deeply in love with each oh, other, nice. which is lovely. And, you know, they had uh, three daughters and a son mm-hmm. and have a number of grandchildren. However, right, he then, yeah, moves to Tonga in the 80s, uh, having retired from military service. Yeah. Right? He then, once he arrives in Tonga, he discovers they have no American beer in Tonga. Oh. Right? So because he was only part-time coaching, he made his other job, he became the sole distributor of Budweiser in the kingdom of Tonga. What? So he is responsible for Budweiser being available in Tonga. Oh my god! It's like he really is Santa, spreading <laughs> cheer to everybody. That's incredible! Wow. So let's let's get this straight. So mm. that man, the Tongan Santa, is a genuine Texan cowboy who yeah. may or may not be like a country singer because you said like he he's like, a very good dancer. Yeah, and had a nice voice or whatever it was you said. Basically your description of him sounded very similar to Casey Musgraves. Um <laughs> you, then he also distributes beer in Tonga is is the man responsible for Budweiser whilst also being the youngest person to ever ride a ball in Texas or whatever it was. Competitively, yeah. That's incredible. And he just decided to coach rugby for a laugh. That's yeah. move to Tonga, start selling. I love this guy. The, the I real love this Ted guy Lasso. Very deeply. Wow. Um, he yeah he he also just to endear him to you in particular. Okay. He passed away in San Diego. Oh and yes. He's buried there. Yeah. Um, I mean, not buried... yes to him passing away. That's very insensitive. But yes, I'm a fan of the San Diego so, Legion, so I have you the know... fancy. He would have been a Legion fan. He would have been a Legion fan. You know, he probably would, would have been down there most weekends if he got definitely. to live to see MLR. Definitely, definitely. He would have been down there distributing Budweiser. Oh, that would have been great. But man, what a guy JJ Fletcher is. Um, wow, I'm very, very glad that you mentioned him and told his story. Because uh, I would not have known that. So that's that's some good research you've done there. He's he's just a, a remarkable gentleman. Yeah. And I'm very delighted to have stumbled across his story yes. during this game. Yes. So other things happened in the first half. The last couple of things. So the the Tongan 12, Kiteki Aho, mm. twice loses his boot. So he loses his left boot and then loses his right boot. Which, as we've established before, there are rules around this. Play must go on. Uh, and it's interesting to say it all happened in <laughs> one also... game. Laces to tie his boots to his feet. 
Yes. So they don't come off as often. Yeah, yeah. Um, while we're talking about accessories on appendages... Yeah. Mark... Uh, not Mark Webb. He's the uh, director of 500 Days of Summer. Glenn Webb wears a pair of, like, Alan Partridge... Oh, no! Glenn Webb wears gardening gloves. He does! Yes, yeah, so he comes out for the second really half. Really thick red gloves. With gardening gloves. Because th- he, he doesn't wear them in the first half. And then there's a... Po- so he comes out in the second half. He has quite a good mm. run at first. And the commentators say, no wonder he's so talented. He's got gloves on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, th- they then suggest that the reason why he's wearing gloves is because he also plays gridiron, as they refer to it. And so, yeah, he's an American footballer as well mm. so this must be where he gets the gloves on but you're right they are genuinely like proper gardening gloves they feel like all he could find at short notice like yes he couldn't get any brock james fingerless gloves no and by the way right brock james has been osprey's attack coach for two years and there's been no uptick in the number of players wearing fingerless what gloves. is he doing there bullshit yes. what are you doing stop wasting your time get matt provero wearing fingerless gloves yeah but anyway yeah he comes out wearing these really thick red gloves needlessly thick yeah and then the commentator, Keith Quinn, our best mate, yeah. says, do you think that's the equivalent of what goalkeepers use in soccer? At which point, there are 49 seconds of dead air. <laughs> that's incredible. That sounds very similar to, like, like Dowie Morris trying to remember Mac Hansen's name. That's incredible. <laughs> I, I, I keep forgetting the name of the other commentator. But it's not Earl, is it? I think it is Earl. I think is it, it is Earl. Earl. It's our Earl. Who, every episode, you need to remind me of Earl's name. I think it might. It probably doesn't help that Earl doesn't have a surname. He's just Earl, like like he's a rapper, or like he's like he's Adele. He's just Earl. I find the thought of him doing gangster rap yeah. at Twickenham maybe before a game very funny. Maybe he's Earl Sweatshirt, who is now a very famous American rapper. Maybe they're the same person. No, I doubt it. Okay, fair enough. I highly doubt he's a man who would now be in his eighties from New Zealand. <laughs> but we won't rule it out. Because mm. we don't know Good if certain is not him, you know. <laughs> I would say we do. Um, no, no, I, I need so, evidence. Wales bring on Jiffy. <laughs> yeah, they do, and they seem to just bring on Jiffy. Uh, Malcolm Daisy does go off injured, but we'll. I oh, think does he? We'll get into his injury later on. Right. Okay. Yes, because there is a significant thing about it that I'll get to later. I mean, the first thing that happens when Jiffy comes on is Robert Jones makes a little half break, offloads. And he goes over in the corner. It's called back for a forward pass. Yes. I'm not sure if the pass was forward, but you know what? I don't mind that happening. <laughs> sure, yeah. I was kind of like I was weirdly glad that, that happened. Yeah, uh, and I, I can't Jiffy's justify first it. touch wasn't a try. Yeah, I can't. I can't justify it. Oh no, his, his first touch was him falling over with the ball and offloading it, like the sniper talking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, then he had that try as well disallowed. But Jiffy then needlessly nails a drop goal. Yep, having previously nailed one after the whistle already gone, he then a few minutes later nails one while the whistle is while time's still complete on. Complete showboating, needless, completely pointless. Yeah, like where was winning Great that game kick, comfortably? But... Yeah, they're still looking for that bonus point try and so on. Yeah, and he just goes for a drop goal. Yeah, why? <laughs> Very confusing, and like I brilliant think the scores, kick. like yeah, six points to. To twenty ish, yeah, you know, yeah. That book, book I think that's accurate. Yeah, there's no scoreboard. I think nineteen six, the score yeah. thereabout, something like that. No need for a drop kick. No need for a drop kick. And yes, he nails it, and it's a brilliant kick. Yeah, but yeah, totally showing off. Totally showing off. The of course, the next significant thing that happens is the web hit. Yes. Fuck. 
me. <laughs> yes. He is out cold. And there's, al- there's already so two it's... moments in the game where Webb looks a bit shaky from hits that he's taken. Uh, Etiaki, yes. the fullback yeah. on Glenn Webb, absolutely nails him as he's run down the wing. Yeah, I had Etiaki written as man the match contention until this hit because it's not good at all. Like it's a great hit and he gets away with it. It's a complete body slam though. Like yes, it's horrible. Doesn't wrap his arms and... at all. It's just head, shoulder to head. Uh, it's it's obviously a red card. It's one of those that would have been a red card ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like let alone now when we're actually caring about head contact in in rugby games. Unless you're Ryan Baird, yeah. Unless you're Ryan Baird. And so Ekitai, yeah, absolutely slams into him, knocks Webb out cold. Webb obviously knocks the ball off. Yeah. And then the scrum takes some time to set. But once it does, Webb looks completely out of it on the touchline. Yes. And he's just sort of like wandering back and forth alongside next to the scrum. And like he's got physios checking, like constantly, like basically carrying him, like supervising mm. him. Uh, whilst he's still playing, they like they don't like, substitute him because they've used their two subs, and Wales don't go down to fourteen men. He's swaying back and forth, standing next to the scrum, yes. and like basically walks over to become an extra flanker, like he's a Canadian or something. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, does not look well at all. No, and the commentators are talking about this as well. Like they're yeah, saying, yeah. like, oh, he looks seriously ill, Webb. Like he's out of it. He is. The most clear-cut concussion yeah. you'll see. And, like, he genuinely passed out for a few seconds. And, like, Tom Francis, watching it back, was clearly concussed yeah. the weekend. Yeah. This is a Worlds level apart. far beyond Worlds that. apart. Like, it's as clear a concussion as I've ever seen. Yeah, it's bitch. awful. It's borderline, like, you remember um, Osprey's sale a few weeks ago, where Sam Cross got seriously injured. Yes. Came back and sat on the bench on morphine. Yes. Um, which is completely out of it. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like that. Yeah. Like, that's the closest thing but I've he's seen. he's still on the pitch. And yeah, Wales yeah. don't sub him off, which is awful. And, you know, he's gone on record and said that he doesn't remember the rest of this game. Wow. Like, there's, we'll come to the, the try scores later on, but he didn't remember that try. Well, the try's almost immediate. Yes. Yeah, should we talk so, about that then? Tonga, Tonga kicked clear, Yeah. right? Wales regather and they spread it out while the Tongan defence is still setting. Defence is still setting. Like this is, you know, yeah. Tongan defence isn't set properly uh, to Webb, who absolutely explodes onto the ball. And despite the fact he can barely remember what rugby is, yeah, he's still pretty bloody good at it. He is, isn't he? And he beats about three men. And as you say, he can't remember this, but it is probably the most famous moment of his career. Yeah, it is. Is this sixty-meter solo try that he scores? Where he outpaces everyone. It's a fantastic step around everyone else. Yeah. It's phenomenal. One of the best individual tries. So he's gone on record and said, "Yeah, yeah." He's gone on record before and said that he must have scored that try completely on instinct because he was Mm. he was basically blackout drunk when he scored that try. (laughs) Imagine being that good at rugby, right? Yeah, and yeah. So he stepped two men, including Etiaki, and it was nice to get his revenge over the man who sparked him out. And yeah, scored it under the posts. Uh, And yeah, he doesn't remember it at all. He's, uh, I think he said that, you know, when he watched the video back a few weeks later, that was the first memory he had of that try. Mm. So, wow. yeah, which is pretty powerful stuff. But also, the other thing is, after he scores it, his teammates aren't celebrating. They're concerned. Like, they're coming up to him saying, like, are you okay when he scores that try? And, like, mm. when Thorburn's knocking over the conversion, there's a point where you can see Hugh Richards, who's playing the second row for Wales, checking him, like kind of like holding his head and like basically doing concussion checks with him and like asking if he's okay, which is like complete contrast of what you usually expect from a try scorer because he was that bad. Mm. I kind of have written in my notes though, like, um, what a try by Webb, but 
Yeah. It's also written on Webb's Wikipedia page that it was a 90 meter score, which maybe that's how it felt, but yeah. Yeah. And Glenn Webb was then sent, like, Wales then made the decision. Uh, Clive Rollins, who was the voice manager, mm-hmm. voice coach at the time, uh, made the decision to send Webb home after this game. Yeah. So basically, that he since said like he, he would have started, he would continue to play yeah, every yeah. game since that. Obviously, he didn't play the first game against Ireland. Yeah. Um, but they would have kept him in because he was fantastic. Yeah. And his this try that he scored, this try on instinct, uh, came second in the official try of the tournament polling. Oh, did it? To John Kerwin's score in the opening against Italy with the dog on the pitch. Yeah. Which was clearly done for the the dog on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, makes sense with that in mind. Fabio's involvement. Yeah. But yes, he was sent home. I mean, the other part of the story is that Mark Ring has told talked of this since. Okay. And said that he had to scream at Webb to put the ball down. Wow. Because he got over the try line and he didn't remember what he did then. Oh my God. Uh, um, and so... if you watch it like he does, he stops under the post and then yeah. he puts the ball down. Wow. And I always just thought that was his style of putting it down. Yeah, no, yeah, he, me too. He didn't... He's, he stopped for a while, and it's he only puts it down because Mark Webb reminds him to. Oh my! Hence God. why everyone's so worried about him because he's so completely forgotten. Mark Webb, the director of Five Hundred Days of Summer that you mentioned earlier, he told him <laughs> to put the ball down. Like, did Mark he get a phone Ring. call from him Mark saying you need to... no, 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 yeah. no, no take backs. No. It... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Mark Webb, the yeah, director of Five Hundred Days of Summer yeah. and the Amazing Spider Man, yeah. and Gifted, which is a really lovely little film with Chris Evans and. McKenna Grace, she's she's very good. She's great in the new Ghostbusters as well. Yeah, so him, I don't know how old he would have been at the time, probably about six, but he goes, hey, put the ball down, playing the sport that I don't know anything about. Yeah, yeah. But hey, neither did JJ Fletcher, and he uh, he made a living out of it. So, yeah. Uh, Mark Webb would have been 13 at the time. Okay, and... It was good of him to to help Glenn out of no relation, of course. So yeah, that was that was Glenn Webb's third try, his hat trick try, and yeah. yeah, he's luckily I don't think he gets the ball again in the game. I don't think he has to make another tackle. Obviously, he's still running round, which is still bad for somebody who is out of it. But yeah, this game is. I think it's probably a good thing that this game is so often talked about as a bad example of how to handle somebody with concussion because we have yes. come very far in that respect well, say at least and Wales sent him home because he hadn't recovered yeah. fully the following day yeah and they figured which unfortunately you know was the right thing bad. to do yes yes and you feel for him and they probably would have had better care of it generally but at the time yeah. just telling him we're not going to risk you to having this just again, remove probably was very important and meant he could go on it you know and play for words again after this world cup yeah yeah. Continue playing for some years for Bridge End. Yeah. But yeah, that was Glenn Webb. Mm. Then Tonga nearly scored the try of the tournament, where yes. they once again go sort of 80 metres. And in one passage, like one phase, they throw 11 passes, which is remarkable. And they all, they're all necessary and they all stick. And it was great seeing rugby played like that in this World Cup. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's lovely, isn't it? And then they eventually do score a really nice try yes. again afterwards. I enjoyed that they win the ball. Fafita, the scrum yes, they win the ball through Livata, who's the mm. replacement centre. From him just completely shoulder barging Jiffy uh, off the ball <laughs> is the way that they won the turnover. But yes, no, sorry, talk us through the Fafita try. Oh, it's just very nice. Just lots, a bunch of big offload nice, then some nice 
and then there's Fita pops up on the end and does that thing where he has to raise the ball high above his head because yes. it's being taken out so he can eventually reach over and ground the ball. And no one has done that in a very long time. Yes. And like he kind of gets around three Welsh defenders, doesn't he, for Fita? And yeah. Yeah, Keith Quinn said um, he was going to get to that line if it killed him. And it nearly did. So I, I don't know what happened that nearly killed Fafita en route to that try line, but I'm glad he came out of it well. He came out unscathed. I'm glad he came out of it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's entirely the inspiration of J.J. Fletcher. Yes, yeah, definitely. You know. Or the birth of Tim Visser. Or the birth of Tim Visser, probably really, really inspiring moment for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you think this was the, we can pinpoint that as the moment Tim Visser was born? I reckon so. I reckon he was born while that try was being scored. So not much really happens. It's how he developed the instincts, which you just sense there was a major try being scored somewhere. Yes. Not much happens in the rest of the game. So uh, there's a point where Leavata well, I mean, uh, mugs off Hopkins with a short dropout, which is a lot of fun. That's great. That's great. I mean, I have written in my very limited notes, quick dropout makes Welsh pre- player look like a dickhead. <laughs> because what I really like is Hopkins has stood like literally about an inch away from him because... Yeah, Levata stood on the 22 meter line to take this drop out, which is quite a brave tactic. And Hopkins is kind of pointing at him, saying like, "Watch the short one, watch the short one. I'm going to cover the short one." And he takes the short one, and Hopkins doesn't gather it. <laughs> it's very good. like he literally had to bend funny. down half a meter, and he would have gathered that ball. But no, uh, he managed to still mug him off. And that is, I mean, we're getting close to Dick of the Day territory. The, but the what? Yeah. The one other thing that isn't Dick of the Day contention that I think is worth mentioning from the end of this yes. game is the actual final play, where Tonga are given a penalty on the 22-metre line, right? And it is 29-13, and they go for goal. It's just for a laugh, They though, go for goal in the last play. They bring their points difference down to minus 13, which, you know, I respect, might help them out come the tail end of the tournament. Sure, sure yeah, they're going to have to beat Ireland by a big only margin. four points for a try. It makes it hard to justify, doesn't it? Well, that's true. Yeah, I suppose with conversion, though, it comes... Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's yeah. just... It feels like an odd thing to do. Sure. Kicking for goal but in the last play. fair play to them. So the final yeah. score is 29-16 to Wales. And I believe this brings us on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day. Yes. Should we do Dick of the Day? Because I think there's some Dick of the Days to talk about. There's a lot. There's a lot. So, so for me, there's one contender is... At one point, Wales try to run an interesting wall move. And they mm. completely fuck it up. So it's Kevin Phillips is the man in possession on the wall move. Mm. And he dummies to about three people charging past him and then just forgets that he's meant to pass to one of them and turns around and runs and has no run up, whereas everybody else did and gets flattened as a result. So he's in contention. Oh, oh another one is, uh, of course, uh, Fuka for losing both of his boots. Uh, when Wadoida had explained to us that you're not allowed to lose your boot in a game of rugby. It's not fair. But my dick of the day is Paul Thorburn. Okay. Do you know why I'm about to give it to Paul Thorburn? Well, okay. So I think my dick of the day is for is in similar territory. Okay. So should we come back and I'll run through my contenders before I give my Let's do this. Out? Yeah, you, you go. Okay. So uh, one of my contenders for dick of the day is Connor Roy, who was obviously of the all the Roy children, probably the one least involved in the Waystar business. And yet there's an awful lot happening over the course of the full HBO original series succession mm-hmm. that leads you to think that actually is he the least clued in, you know, one who could hold the keys to power and very much doesn't. Um, 
And there's an awful lot, as we go through the rest of the tournament, we see who is going to be named as the successor in succession. There's going to be lots of business. Another option that we really have open to us is Rob Jones, who at one point is having a little run down the wing at a nice little Welsh handling move. Yeah. And he throws the ball back in field to a red jersey that he sees chasing across. And then, when a Tongan intercepts the ball and turns around and runs in the opposite direction, he has a look on his face where he clearly remembers that Wales aren't playing in red today. Yes, we are the green team. This is the first time Wales have ever played in green. Yeah. Commentators mention that a lot. Yep. Wales have previously played in black and red and no other colours. Yeah. Uh, It's the first time they've ever played in green this game. And Rob Jones did not realise that. Yeah. Uh, That's a big dick of the day contention for forgetting what colour your team are playing in. Yep. But I think, so twice during this game, does Paul Forborn take out his own man? Yes. So I said we'd get to the Malcolm Dacey injury. Yes. That came as was a result Was that how he got of... injured? Yep. That came... He was down... I thought he was doing a fake in, you know that Nuh-uh. fake injury thing where players lie down after they make a mistake? Nope. I thought he was doing that. Nope. So what happens is Malcolm Dacey runs a move where the plan is he passes to 12 Hopkins, loops around him, gets the ball back and then passes to presumably the ring or Thorburn outside him. Mm. Thorburn gets his line completely wrong and just decks Dacey. <laughs> yep. And just runs clean into him. And yet Daisy hobbles over. He's completely blindsided by him. And yeah, like ruptures his ankle. And Daisy's then hobbling for the next 10 minutes before eventually he has to come off. Mm. So yeah, Thor- Thorben injured him. And like, I laughed out loud at that point. It's very uh, funny. About the fact that Thorben decked his 10. The move would have been exactly as useful as a straight crash ball. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Because they doing it so far back the Tongans had just stood off waiting for them to yes. finish doing a little dance Literally. at one point as well the commentator Keith Quinn says when a prop tries to do a little sidestep before contact he says look at him doing a little war dance on the spot yes I enjoyed that I did Which, enjoy that oh, yeah questions but yes yeah, so Thorben Too then probably. gets the ball and mm. runs into one of his own men again and the fact that he did it not once but twice means that he has to be dick of the day. He has to be dick of the day. And it is the second time it is Paul Moriarty who bodies him and sends him flying off his Yes, feet. of course. But Moriarty also falls over, so mm. credit to Paul Forburn. Absolutely. And look, there's an argument to be made the second time Moriarty is the one far more in the wrong. Like, he is the one who gets his line wrong. Yeah. And Forb, you know, he's the one that should have adjusted. But there is a common factor between these two things. Yes. 100%. And that is that Paul Forburn twice takes out a teammate whilst he's looking for the ball. Yeah. Absolutely. So Paul Thorburn is both of our dick of the day. Yep. Paul Thorburn absolutely nailed on dick of the day. Yeah. So man of the match for me, I think Amone, the Tongan 10, had a really good game. Again, I think Eteaki had a good game from fullback, but mm-hmm. he also sparked out Glenn Webb. I think Ring had his touches, but also was generally not as good. So my man of the match is Glenn Webb for scoring three mm. tries and just generally like around the park he looked like Wales' most competent player and looked like a slightly more modern winger than 1987. Yes. So credit to him. Yeah, Glenn Webb's my man of the match. I think both scrum halves actually play quite well. Uh, they both make lots of sure errors. sure Rob Jones they... plays well? I think both both scrum halves make errors but are look pretty good look like good players. Okay. And sure. Rob Jones's service and his actual skill set are so clean that he really actually helps Wales do things when they... Because when Wales do things, they all come very quickly. It's like Wales will 
have a scrum, then they'll have scored seven seconds later, mm, right? Okay. Whereas Tonga will spend ages pushing and then not scored. Sure. And I yeah. think a lot of that is down to Rob Jones. There's a few like passes he throws and like the little kick he makes in the lead with the Hadley try and so on. And he's just he's a very very clean player. Like his skills yeah. are very like on point and accurate. Uh, and sometimes he just thinks that are not accurate, but generally sure. he is very accurate. I think Tupo has an excellent game, aside from the scrum okay. where he is absolutely murdered. Yeah. So you can't give it to a prop who loses every single scrum, including on their own ball. But I thought he played generally well. But man of the match kind of has to be Glenn Webb. It kind of has to be. And I thought it, it's his he was kind of this. It? Yeah, he was the standout in the first half. He was the standout, especially for scoring off instinct when he couldn't remember what rugby was. Yeah. And obviously goes off and then comes back on later because Wales were down to 14 without him. Yeah. And yeah, I think it is, it is as you say, it is remembered as the Glenn Webb game. And when I looked at this game, you know, when I was reading it out last week and when I was looking at it in any context, it's always, it is kind of the Glenn Webb game where he scores a hat-trick and gets sparked out. Yeah. And he plays very well even aside from that, even aside from his free tries. Yeah. No, agreed. That's good. We've, we've agreed on both, which is a rare occurrence. Yeah. Even in 1987. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. Go us. So, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Succession podcast. Episode uh, quickly, 69. Episode 69 of the Succession World Cup retrospective podcast. Yeah. Very quickly, William, who do you think is going to end up in charge of the company in Succession? Uh, Dr. Jeff Banterfield. Absolutely agreed. Please join us next week when the game we'll be covering will be Canada 19 Island 46. Sounds like a banger. Sounds like a great game. I really, really cannot wait. We've got some some real standout games coming up. I mean, we've got England and Scotland putting 60 points on Zimbabwe and Japan. We've got France beating the USA. We've got Fiji Italy, which could be a quite good game, but will probably be boring because I've seen this World Cup before. Yes. Australia beating the USA. New Zealand beat... Oh, I mean, I don't want to give spoilers. All the big hits are coming up. But frankly, the next... Ten games. Nine of them are blowouts. Ten games? (laughs) Of the next ten... Yeah. Of the next... Hold on. How far do we have to go? Of the next 14 games, 12 of them are blowouts. Okay. (laughs) That's going to be fun. Oh, man. I enjoyed the podcast. And even though one of them, I'm being really, really kind on what I consider a blowout because it's still a big margin, but both teams score lots of points. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, that's a lot of exciting content to come your way. Yep. We're going to need to find a lot of guests for these episodes. Yeah, we are. And hey, we might have already found some. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see you in the future for Canada against Ireland next, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. In the meantime, I hope you have a lovely week, a great, great time, and you do an awful lot of succeeding. Yes. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.